Believer, do you know that the old you is dead and buried? Do you know that you are dead to sin? Do you know that you are also dead to the law? Coming up, we'll talk about the new you next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. We continue today in our series, More Than Conquerors in the Darkest of Times. Believer, God says that you really are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Yet most Christians don't even know this, much less really believe it. They say, How in the world could I, little old me, possibly be more than a conqueror? That's ridiculous. And they wave it off as nonsense. That's because they are looking at themselves carnally. And what I mean by carnally in the Bible means is after the flesh, based upon your humanity, based on your own human thinking, and disregarding what God says. And as a result, they go on living like a defeated loser instead of the more than conqueror that they really are in Christ. And this wrong thinking can worsen when things go wrong in our lives, like a crisis, like we're going through right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, it's amazing what the power of a lie can do to our lives. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you and I, are having a nice lunch in a crowded, popular restaurant in downtown. Suddenly, there's a bang, and someone slams the front door open. In walks in a man into the restaurant, all dressed black and wearing a mask, and he's pointing an AK-47 automatic rifle at the crowd. He's screaming profanities. He's threatening to kill us all. How would you feel in a moment like that? Well, I'm sure that anyone would be terrified. They, they're they about to die. Your body would shift into fight or flight mode. As your adrenaline kicks in, your heart races and your blood pressure skyrockets. But just as this happens, a police officer calmly walks in and grabs the AK-47 rifle right out of the intruder's hands and says, Ladies and gentlemen, nothing to worry. This, as he pulls the trigger and water comes squirting out of the barrel, is just a squirt gun. Let me ask you, were you ever really in danger in that situation? No. But before you knew the truth, you believed the lie that you were about to die, and your physical body even reacted just like a person who's about to die but you were never in any trouble at all. Why? Because a squirt gun can't hurt you. This goes to prove that a lie can have a powerful effect on our lives. If you believe that something is true, even though it really is not, then you will live a defeated life, falling for the devil's lies every time. 
dear friend, I don't want that to happen to you or me. So I'm here today to tell you the truth. You know, the word for truth in the Bible is also the same idea as reality. And the real truth and reality about what God has done with you, believer, is what I want to share. Romans chapter 8 has some incredible things about every born-again child of God. But it can seem like pie-in-the-sky nonsense if you don't know and believe the truth about what God says about the new you. Know that God has done this because he is really that good. He is that loving. Now, the focus verses for this series are Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 39. And right here at the start of this series, we're looking at the context of these amazing verses. And that context is very important. Without the context, Romans chapter 8, 15 to 39 is just going to sort of hang in the middle of the air, unsupported by anything. But there is a context. It's Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3 and 4, 5, 6, 7, and Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. Now, we've already gone through Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 5. Now we're in Romans chapter 6. There are three things that come out in Romans chapter 6, three words to think of. The first word is know, the second word is reckon, and the third word is yield. Keep those three things in mind. If you've got your Bible, let's open it up, and we'll begin in Romans chapter 6. But before we turn to God's Word, let's first turn to the God of the Word. Father, we just thank you so much that we are truly more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Lord, we're more than conquerors, not because of who we are or what we've done or our ability or inability, but Lord, as your Word says, we are more than conquerors through, by means of, him who loved us. That's your Father heart of love, delivered to us so powerfully through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, I have to admit that I personally have believed lies, and those lies in my life have had a negative impact, have slowed me down, have distracted me from attention to you, have impaired my life. But I thank you, Lord, that you said in John chapter 8, he who knows the truth shall be free indeed. Lord, I pray that we would know the truth through your Bible by the uh, enlightening, illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in this podcast episode. And I promise to give you the praise and glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do you have it? Romans chapter 6. And by the way, it's a really good idea to have your Bible open and uh, following along if you can. Now, if you're in a situation where that can happen, not a problem, but be sure to look up these verses later. Romans chapter 6, let's begin in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Listen to this. How shall we who died, now notice that's in the past tense, died, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him, just like a dead person, through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, I want you to know that Romans chapter 6 brings up something very important. Now, this term isn't actually explicitly stated in Romans 6, but it definitely uh, is there in what is taught. And that's the idea of the believer's union with Christ. That means you are united with Christ, dear friend. Uh, And this union with Christ is not a position in Christ. Maybe you've heard that term, position in Christ. Well, that's a religious term. It's not based on anything in the Bible. No, this union with Christ is a reality. And that reality is twofold. Number one, that we are in Christ. And number two, that Christ is in us. Perhaps an illustration would help out. I want you to imagine some water in a bottle. Okay. Now, isn't it true that wherever the bottle goes, the water goes? Well, that's true because the water is in the bottle. So if I take the bottle with water up to the top of a mountain, where is the water? Well, the water is in the bottle. Where is the bottle? It is on the mountaintop, and so is the water. So where the bottle goes, the water goes. Or for instance, let's say we took that bottle of water down into the depths of an underground mine. Where is the water now? Well, it's still in the bottle. But where is the bottle? It is deep down in the mine. And so is the water. Because where the bottle goes, the water goes. Now the same thing is true of being in Christ. Where Christ has gone, you have gone with him. Why? Because you are in Christ. And you are not in Christ because of something you did. It's because of something that God did. Listen to this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 30. It says this, but of him, referring to God. You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. So the whole reason why you or I are in Christ, is not because one version says because of your doing, it's because of God's doing. He is the one who did it. Not future tense, not present tense, already done. The believer is already in Christ because that is what God the Father did. Now remember, last time, what we learned when we looked at Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, we saw two human races. The first, and the one that all of us were born into physically, is first Adam. And through first Adam, we received sin death, and condemnation. That's what Romans 5 teaches. And that's why we must be born again in last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are in last Adam, and every believer 
is in Christ and therefore in this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. In last Adam, the old you died with him at the cross just as much as he died at the cross. Now, remember our water-in-the-bottle illustration. See, where you are in Christ, where he went, you went. And it's also true that three days later, when he was raised up from the dead, you resurrected with him. The old you, gone, and now a new you, born again. That's what it means to be born again. And therefore, because, believer, you are already in all that last Adam, Jesus, brings. You are in, instead of being in a condition of death in first Adam, you are in a condition of life, abundant life, eternal life. Instead of being in a condition of death in first Adam, you are in that abundant life. Instead of being in the condition of sin in first Adam, you are now in the reality of righteousness. That's why God does not call any believer a sinner. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. By the way, I have an article that gets into that called The Myth of the Christian Sinner. And you can read that at our website, dailyinchrist.org. You are no longer identified with your sin, believer. Why? Because you, God does not regard you as a sinner. That person died with Christ in first Adam. The new person is called a saint by God. That is a holy one. And your identity is with not your sin, but with your Savior. So last Adam brings righteousness. Last Adam also brings peace. And last time we talked about this being the idea of shalom peace, which refers to wholeness. And in last Adam, we also receive abundance of grace. All of that now, remember, that's in Romans chapter 5, and it would be good to review that chapter. This, dear friend, is the so much better of last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the reality and totality that you have right now because you are in last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, friend, because you, believer, are in Christ, you are in union with him, born in him. That's the reality. But someone might say, well, it doesn't seem like all of that. Remember, do not base your life on carnal knowledge. Base your life upon the truth and the reality of God's word, the Bible. Now, at the beginning of the podcast, I said that Romans 6 has three things. Know there is something we need to know. Second, reckon there is something that we have to account as true, knowing what the truth from the Bible says. And the third thing is yield. You can kind of break Romans 6 down in those three ways. First, know. And It says, do you not know? Which infers that the people who are reading this may very well not know that the first thing is that we died together with Christ when he was crucified. Here's verse 3 and 4 again. Or do you not know 
that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, I want to stop there. This is not referring to water baptism. This is referring to the action of the Spirit of God immersing you, uniting you, baptizing you into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you're born again. You are baptized by the Spirit into Christ. Therefore, we were buried with him through this baptism that I'm talking about into death. By the way, water baptism is a testimony after that spirit baptism, the spirit baptizing us into Christ. And it's the outward testimony before the body of Christ that we are in Christ. We are one of his. Verse 4 again, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, friend, do you hear the tense of these verses? It's all past tense. It's already done. As much as the death of Jesus at the cross at Calvary is done 2,000 years ago, so is this reality with you. And what's the outcome of this? Verse 6, knowing this, there it is again, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, uh, notice again, past tense, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Watch verse 7, for he who has died, past tense, has been freed from sin. Okay, so the truth is that we have been united with Christ and we are dead to sin. Again, your natural carnal mind is going to think, oh, no, I'm not dead to sin. It sure doesn't seem like I'm awfully alive to it. No, you're dead to sin. That's what the Bible says. That's part of the problem. Now we get to the second thing. So first there's the no. We know that we have been united with Christ, buried with him through baptism into his death, and therefore dead to sin. Now there's the reckon stage, which is the faith step. Here's what Jesus did. And we find these, the reckon stage in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, this is the part that Jesus did. For the death that he died, he died to sin. Now notice it doesn't say sins. This is the fallen nature of the sinner. That's what sin is. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus didn't commit any kind of sins. He was not a sinner. He didn't do it for his own benefit. He did it for your benefits. So you in union with him, when he died, you died, the old you, the old sinner you, the old loser you, And just as much as he died to sin, you died to sin. And listen to what it says, once for all. In other words, once for all time. So you're now dead to sin, but listen to the second part of verse 10. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So before Calvary, before our being united with Christ and being crucified with him and dying with him at Calvary, The old sinner, you, was alive to sin and dead to God. But on the other side of 
Calvary, in resurrection life, in last Adam, you are now dead to sin and you are alive to God. And here's what you do by faith, verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now it says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves. What does this word reckon mean? Well, it's actually an accounting term, Um, like reconciling your checkbook, um, which is a good idea to do periodically to make sure what you're putting down in your checkbook lines up with what has been transacting in your bank account. This is something that happens in your mind where you agree with what God says and you change your thinking to align with that. So what's the direct application here? Well, there's the knowing part that we're we were united with Christ in his death. So the first thing I say is I thank you, Lord. I am the old sinner me, died with him. I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint. I am holy. And my life is no longer oriented towards sin, but toward my Savior. The second thing is I am dead to sin forever. And the third thing is that I am alive to God. That's what reckoning is. Reckoning the reality that we are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the third thing is the idea of yield. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign, literally it means reign as a king, in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. So it's still possible for the believer to give in to sin, to think that sin is somehow controlling and reigning in their life. It says right here, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. You are the old sinner you is dead to that. You are alive to God. So don't let sin reign as a king in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. That's good news. Now, that's the negative part. Don't let that sin reign. The reign of sin was canceled over your life when you died with Christ 2,000 years ago. Now, here's the positive part, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's the negative part. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Wow. So instead of presenting the members and uh, as instruments, and literally the Greek word is hapalon, it means weapons, Instead of doing what we did before we were born again, presenting our the members of our body in slavery to sin as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, now we are children of God. We're born again. We're saints. We're identified not with our sin, but our Savior. And we can indeed present, yield as instruments of righteousness Yield ourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And the rest of the verse says, in your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness to God. Listen to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are absolutely not 
under law, but under grace. Man, that's a powerful verse. We think that sin has this power, this lordship, this dominion over us. That's not true. Remember the illustration I gave about us being in the restaurant and the guy bursting in with the AK-47 rifle? And how we believed that lie and it had a physical impact on our bodies? Friends, that is equally true. If you believe that you're a sinner, If you believe that sin is your master, it's going to dominate you in your thinking and it's going to have a bodily effect. But the truth of the matter is, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you are, and this is the literal Greek, absolutely not under law, but under grace. You are no longer, we'll get into this in a bit in Romans chapter 7, you are no longer under law. We'll find out shortly in, again, Romans 7, why that's the case. We are under grace. And remember from Romans 5, what God's grace brings. It brings abundance of life. It brings righteousness. It brings peace. It brings so much good in our lives. And now look at this from Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, friend, are you going to believe the truth of God's word? Or are you going to believe your feelings and what you and your carnal thinking believes? I choose to believe God and his word. I don't want to call him a liar. I know you don't either. So let's believe the truth when it says here, but now having been set free from sin, that's in the past tense, and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. That is loaded. And that's the glorious truth of our union with Christ. So remember three things. We have to know the truth that we are one with Christ. We died. The old sinner, you died together with him. We are dead to sin. And when Christ raised up three days later, we just as certainly with him rose as new creatures born again in last Adam. And we live to God. We live to the glory of God. Now let's go to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter 7, and I want to warn you that Romans chapter 7 is probably the most misunderstood chapter in all of the Bible. Many times, and this really frustrates me, I'll hear Bible teachers uh, teaching Romans 7 as if uh, there is this inevitability of sin, and they'll say, you're going to sin to the day you die, and they're going to talk about really in ways as if Sin has dominion over the believer. That is not true. That is not at all what Romans chapter 7 teaches. There are, I know, the so-called struggle verses of Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 24, what says the things I want to do, I don't want to do, and so forth. That's usually what is taught. But that's taught completely out of context. First of all, All the context of everything that has been brought so far in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 6, particularly Romans chapter 5 and what we just shared about in Romans chapter 6, and the immediate context of Romans chapter 7 verses 1 to 13. 
And Romans 7, 1 to 13, this is really frustrating to me, is almost never preached in the body of Christ. Most Christians know nothing about the glorious truth in Romans 7, 1 to 13. And the most important part are verses 4 through 6. So we're going to just focus on this. I don't have, again, time This is not a series about Romans. This is actually setting up, getting us into the main portion of our meal. But Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 4, says this, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. And here's the important reason why, the second part of the verse, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So we saw in Romans chapter 6 that our union with Christ uh, united us with his death. And uh, through the cross, the old sinner me died with him, that a new me would uh, come through and last at him. And that I am therefore, and you believer, dead to sin. Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says we have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. And that isn't so that we become lawbreakers and crazy sinners. No. The reason, as we said in the second part of verse 4, is that we would be in be married in a covenant love covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus who is raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. In other words, in relationship with God. Now, here's more. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, now that refers to being uh, before being born again, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Verse 6. But now, having we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. And the second part of that verse says, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, the law. Believer, you are absolutely not under law. You are under grace. That is a fact. It's clearly laid out in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Romans 7 here says quite clearly that you and I are dead to the law First of all, that we would become married in a love covenant relationship to Christ. And second, is that we would bear fruit to God. And thirdly, that we would live in a new way, in the newness of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to every believer the moment they're born again, Christ in you, the hope of glory through the Holy Spirit. We don't live by the law. The law is the static thing. The Spirit is alive. Christ alive in me. Don't you think that the Lord Jesus uh, is a law keeper? He is. And he is the total fulfilling of the righteous demand of the law. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. Okay. Well, what purpose does the law have then? Well, Romans chapter 7, verse 13, and this is really good, and the Amplified brings this out. Listen to this. Did that which is good then, referring to the law, prove fatal, bringing death to me? Certainly not. It was sin working death in me by using this good thing as a weapon in order that through the commandments sin might be shown up clearly to be sin. 
listen, that the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. Here is what the law is designed to do. The law in no way is meant to make people righteous. That's impossible. In Romans chapter 8, the early verses, which we'll get to shortly, talk about why. The law actually aggravates the sin nature of the sinner and kind of brings it out of hiding. You know, one Bible teacher illustrates it's a lot like taking a a bottle filled with warm water and setting it next to this uh, venomous snake. And that snake might be lazily coiled up and sleeping, but once that warm uh, balloon goes next to it, immediately it, it jumps to life and the nature of the snake uh, bites into that balloon. That's exactly what happens with a sinner. The self-righteous sinner takes the law and says, oh, I'm so righteous and so good. I mean, isn't it true when you're trying to share the gospel with a, with a sinner? And, uh, you know, you ask them, uh, do you think you're righteous? And they think, well, I think I've done enough good things. The sinner is self-righteous. The law exposes that sinfulness. And here's, here's what happens. As verse 13 says, that the extreme malignity and immeasurable sinfulness of sin might plainly appear. How does that happen? That's what Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 24 are all about. And those verses, 14 to 24, do not speak about a born-again Christian. Now, I have just flown in the face of probably 95% of Bible teachers when I say that, but I am staunch about that. That is not at all what uh, Romans seven fourteen to 24 says. It is not about the believer's bondage to sin. No way, no how. That is garbage. And by the way, I get into that in tremendous depth in my series called uh, living in the reality of perfect sanctification. Now, uh, to take Romans seven fourteen to 24 and somehow apply that to the Christian is to totally wrench that passage out of the immediate context that we just went through in verses 1 through 13 and the larger context of Romans chapter chapters 1 through 6. Romans seven fourteen to 24 does not speak about a born-again Christian. They speak, what are these verses for? They speak about the sinner's bondage to sin, which the law makes manifest. Why? Because sinful man wants to play God and to be self-righteous. Sinful man wants to justify himself. But the law exposes, listen, the law exposes man's sinfulness by provoking the sinner's sin nature out of hiding. And that's what this part where it says, the thing, I, the good thing I want to do, I don't want to do, but the thing I don't want to do, this I do. And we're so familiar with that misery. Do you know that in Romans seven fourteen to 24, that the personal pronoun, I, me, my, is said 23 times times, and God is not even mentioned once. Right there, you can see the problem. See, the self-righteousness of the sinner focuses on self and never upon God. This is one of Satan's primary diabolical tactics to pull us away from God, and we need to be aware of that. 
So when the law has its full effect on the sinner, here's the end result of what the law does to the sinner, or in fact, anyone else who puts themselves under law, even a Christian. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, you know you are at wit's end when you stop trying to say, how do I get out of this mess and who is going to rescue me? You know, back on September 11th, 2001, when those planes slammed into the World Trade Center, there were people who had survived that initial impact of that horrible catastrophe when those planes slammed into those towers and exploded. Many people died, but there were many people who survived that horrific impact and blast. But there were those who were trapped in the upper floors. And when that impact happened and the fire broke out, there were a lot of people who were trying to escape. They were trying to find exits only to discover that those exits were blocked off. And to their horror, they began to understand that they were trapped. There was no way out. And that's when all the calls to 911 happened. Uh, for our international friends, that 911 is what we call here in the United States to get to emergency uh, help dispatch. They called 911 and the, and, and the calls were all the same. There's been a terrible explosion here in World Trade, Trade Center 1 or World Trade Center 2, and I can't get out. Please send someone here to help. You see, friends, that's what happens when you're trapped in a dilemma. There is nothing left for you to do. You need someone who will rescue you. And the sinner needs a savior to rescue them. That's the end point of the law to bring us in desperation away from ourselves and toward the savior. Verse 24 again, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now here's the solution. Verse 25, I thank God. (laughs) See, now God is back in the picture. I thank God through, by means of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, friends, this sets us up for Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And guess what? Knock on the door. That sets us up for Romans chapter 15, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 15 to 39. Okay. So let's go over to the great, powerful news of Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says this, and this is a great declaration. There is therefore. What is the big therefore? Therefore. Well, everything that we've talked about and everything that God lays out in Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Therefore, therefore, there is now, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And here's the reason, verse 2, for... The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Wow. 
So you see what our flesh, what our humanity could never do ever, ever, ever. Uh, The law of the spirit of life. So there was a law of sin and death. And now here's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has. That is already done. Has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. You didn't do it, believer. God did it. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Now, note, this is not sins and sinning, but that problem of sin and the sin nature. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's very important. Those who walk not according to the flesh. Flesh, in the Bible, refers to your humanity. Human um, understanding, human knowledge, human perception, human ability, human strength. That is what flesh is. It's your mere humanity. You know, uh, for many years, the translators of the New International Version of the Bible, the NIV, mistranslated, and this is very painful that they did this, the Greek word for flesh, which is sarx, and they incorrectly translated sarx, S-A-R-X, as not flesh, but sinful nature. Now, I was, for many, many years, a person who used the NIV as my um, daily driver, <laughs> as it is for a Bible. And so I, everywhere where the NIV translated flesh as sinful nature, I thought it was because, therefore, I, as a believer, have a sinful nature. No, nothing could be further from the truth. Because the word is not sinful nature, because a sinful nature is what is in a sinner. And you were that sinner before the cross. Through the cross, we went through this in Romans chapter 6, you are no longer a sinner, you are a saint, a son of God, a new creature in Christ. So, there are two races and types of human beings. We talked about that in Romans chapter 5, but it comes out in a further dimension here in Romans chapter 8. There are those who are in the flesh. Those who are in first Adam are those who are in the flesh. So here in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, that makes total sense. If you are a creature who is, um, and this idea of in the flesh or in the Spirit, I need to explain something a little bit technical about uh, the Greek language uh, in the Bible. There is what's called a locative. A locative refers to the subject of a, of, a, of a sentence and the location of that subject. All right. A locative of sphere refers to the sphere or the realm in which the subject lives. Okay. And so here in Romans chapter uh, 8, verses 5 and 6, we see a locative of sphere. First in verse 
5. Those who live um, uh, according to the flesh. There are those uh, earlier that it says live in the flesh. Verse 4, uh, earlier in Romans chapter 8. So those who live according to the flesh. So those who are in the flesh. Those who live in the realm of the flesh, who are those people? Those are those who are in first Adam, not born again. And so their life, remember what happened when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Two things happened. Number one, they died. Well, they didn't physically die. They spiritually died. That's significant. And being in a condition of spiritual death, they had to get on with their life, and so they did so by the flesh, by means of the flesh. They were flesh creatures, fully flesh creatures, and therefore they lived according to the flesh. That is what someone does um, before being born again. That's the natural habitat of the sinner. The natural habitat of the sinner is in the flesh. So those, verse 5, who live according to the flesh, your human perception, human understanding, human knowledge, human ability, human strength, those who live according to this flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That makes sense. Because if the only way that you can get on with life because you're dead spiritually and alive physically is the physical way, then they live according to the flesh. But the second verse, part of verse 5, says this, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, again, the locative of sphere. You've got the sinner who is in the flesh. They live in the realm or the habitat of the flesh. The example that I like to use here is a fish and you. Okay, one of the big differences between a fish and you is that a fish uh, lives in the realm of or the habitat of water. That's a locative of sphere. It lives in water. Okay. What happens so it can breathe when it's and live and move about in the water? What happens when we take a fish who is a creature that lives in water and we throw them out on the dock in the air? Well, this creature can't survive in the air. It can't breathe the air. And so it quickly dies. On the other hand, you and I are creatures of the air, not the water. We live in the realm of air. So as long as we're in air, we're fine. We can breathe fine. But what happens when you go down in the water? Well, you can't breathe water. You and I can't breathe water, and eventually we die. We drown. And so in like fashion, those who are in first Adam are in the realm or the habitat of flesh. And that's why they live according to the flesh. Those who are born again are spirit creatures, and they live not in the habitat or the realm of flesh. They live in the Spirit of God. And the way that they live is not by the flesh, it is by the Spirit. Dear friend, there's an incredibly powerful truth that's right here. This is where most Christians fail in their Christian life. You see, they, they're born again, they go into this new life, and then they turn around and live this life by the flesh and not by the Spirit. And living by the flesh is living by your 
human perception, your human knowledge, your human ability, your human strength, and so forth. If you live that way, it's not going to work. It's going to fail. You are now a spiritual creature, and you live by the Spirit. What's that? Well, Romans 8 goes into this, so we'll continue on. Now look at Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to be carnally minded, that's carn, carnal, the Greek word is carneo, which means of the meat or of the flesh. So to be fleshly minded, carnally minded is death. That's why so many Christians are making a big mistake as born-again spirit creatures trying and struggling and striving to live the Christian life through means of their flesh. The output of that is death. It does not work. The rest of verse 6, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Listen to verse 7, because the carnal mind, that's life after the flesh, living according to the flesh. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. There is no way that an unbeliever, a person who is not yet born again, could possibly please God. They can't live for God any more than a stone can go out to a dance. <laughs> um, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Verse 8. So then, here's the conclusion. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There it is, that locative of Shear. Remember the realm or habitat of existence? The person who is in first Adam is alive in the flesh and dead to the spirit. They're dead in trespasses and sins. And so those in that condition cannot please God. Do you know what the difference is between can and may? This is kind of a, get a little bit in a grammar here and, and a bone that I have to pick. Um, it seems a lot of people don't know the difference between the word can and the word may. For instance, I might be somewhere at a store at a restaurant and the person, the server there will say, can I help you? Can I help you? Now, can refers to ability. So literally, when that server is saying, can I help you? What they're really asking is, do I have the ability to help you? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not them. They are them. And I'll say, well, I don't know. And they look at me really funny. The correct thing to say is, may I help you, right? When you're saying may, you're re it's a request. So can, C-A-N, refers to ability. May I refer is a request, all right. So when it says here in verse 8, those who are in the Spirit cannot please God, it literally means they cannot. It's impossible for the unbeliever to serve God. Why? Because they're dead to God and alive to sin, as it says over in Romans chapter 6. They live in the realm of the flesh, not the Spirit. They are carnal. Verse 8, so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, here's the word to believers. But you, believers, 
are not in the flesh. You don't live in the habitat of flesh anymore. You live in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that if is not a conditional if. It's a statement saying, since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So obviously a person without Spirit of Christ is not a believer. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, and again, that's not a conditional if. It's the reality of every believer. Since Christ is in you, and if Christ was not in you, you wouldn't be born again. Since Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's the problem getting to the ground level of our problems as believers and where we fail. Because we are living our lives not by the Spirit, but by the flesh, through our human ability, human knowledge, human perception, instead of by the truth of God's Word and by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so that our body, living by the body, is useless. In fact, it's like dead. Now, what's the solution to something that's dead? resurrection. Listen to verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, and again, this if is not a conditional if, it's a it's a statement of fact. Since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, just as much as Jesus was raised from the dead, he who raised Christ from the dead, that refers to the spirit, raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Dear friend, here's the bottom line. We do not have to live according to the flesh. Why? Because we're no longer flesh creatures. We're brand new creatures in last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are spiritual creatures that live and move and have our being in the spirit. And therefore we The Christian life will not work according to the flesh. It works according to the Spirit. Verse 12 says something powerful. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We don't owe, we not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So, and this is the big problem with most preaching I hear today. On and on, it's lessons about how to live the Christian life, how to do this, how to stop doing that. That's all fleshly teaching. I'm sorry, it's true. And the sad part about that is the focus is not upon the Savior, it's upon us. Instead of it being Christ-centered, it's Christian-centered. The mistake most Bible teachers make is they teach believers to live the Christian life by the flesh instead of by the Spirit. Why? Because they don't know the truth of what Romans says, clearly. You and I are not debtors. We don't have to live according to the flesh. We, verse 13 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Most Christians feel like they're in a death condition. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and the Greek word is praxis, the practice of the body, the practice of living by means of flesh, you will live. Watch verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are 
sons of God. Dear friend, I want to encourage you to go through Romans chapter 1. We began in verse 18. Just read all the way through to this point, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Soak that in, and that'll set you up real good for the main part, the main serving in this series, uh, more than conquerors in the darkest of times, as we go through Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 39. Dear friend, we have updated uh, on our website, dailyinchrist.org, the information about the Daily in Christ podcast, and specifically the page that is how to listen to the Daily in Christ podcast on your mobile device. So I want to encourage you, if you're not listening to this through a mobile device, like uh, a phone or a tablet, you may not know that you could do such a thing. You can. It actually is much easier than trying to, to, to listen through the website. I know a lot of people listen through the website, but you can listen to it as a podcast. So when you go to that page, it'll even explain what a podcast is, which is very helpful, and how, with your particular device, you can actually subscribe to this podcast so that whenever we have a new one that's been pushed out, you'll get notification right away. And if you have it set up correctly or Particularly, it'll even automatically download the latest episode. And what's great is that you can pick that up and go anywhere. You know, you can go on a walk and you can listen to this podcast. You can listen to it while you're driving and so forth, or maybe while you're working. That's why podcasts have become so incredibly popular. Podcasts bring the portability of radio, but the advantage is you can download it and listen to it at any time. So, Check that out. That's at our website, dailyinchrist.org. And then when you get there, on the menu at the top, click on the podcast item. And from there, click on the item, how to listen to the Daily in Christ podcast on your mobile device. We're on all of the major um, mobile devices like Apple and Google and Android and uh, all of the podcast platforms like Spotify and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and so forth. That's at dailyinchrist.org. And of course, while you're there at dailyinchrist.org, check out our many articles uh, that I have written and shared. Um, These are important things to learn about our lives in Christ. Dear friend, it is a tremendous honor that you have taken time in your busy life to lay some things down and listen to the pure teaching of God's grace taught raw, direct, unfiltered from the Bible. And uh, please share this podcast with others. Let them know that they can find this encouragement through the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and I want to remind you once again from 34 verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Mm -hmm.